welcome to the Group Home Riches Podcast. If you have the desire to be your own boss, create your own schedule, and become financially free while at the same time helping people in need, then you've come to the right place. At GroupHomeRiches.com, we teach people exactly like yourself how to get started in the group home business, and on this podcast, you're going to hear their stories firsthand. Let's get into it. So I know you from the private Facebook group, but for the people listening out there, why don't you say hi to everybody? Hi, everyone. My name is Tanisha Edwards, and I'm a clinical research nurse for over 16 years. I'm also a private academy teacher for third and fourth graders, and I own a home care agency as well, as well as group home owner. All right. So we got a whole lot to unpack, more than I even knew. <laughs> you, you're busy. <laughs> I am. I'm very busy. Yes. <laughs> so the reason I, I wanted to have you on, obviously, you mentioned in the group that you have seven group homes operating. I've got that? seven. Yes, I do. Yes, sir. All right. So we're going to get into a whole bunch of stuff. I'm hoping you have a good team behind you. Well, you know, my husband and I, we're pretty much the team. That's about it, except for the people that we outsource to our, uh-huh. our partners or our sponsors, as you would want to probably call them. Okay. So you just, you're good on very little sleep then. Yes, very little. Uh, catnaps. <laughs> yes, yes, catnaps. Awesome. We got a hustler in the house, folks. <laughs> yes, a straight hustler, Ben. Yes, since day one, Brandon, since day one. Let's get into that a little bit then. Were you always like that or did you have any kind of life experiences that kind of made you get on that path or any books or anything like that or were you just kind of always like that? Well, when I was 14 and a half, uh, pretty much close to f- 15 years of age, my mom had pretty much, you know, left. And so I'm a former victim of abandonment. You know, she left. We came home one day and she, of course, was taking care of my brothers and myself. I had two. And my father, which was a Vietnam vet, he was a E-5 ammunition sergeant. So he had experienced a lot in the war with the PTSD. So he was in and out the psychiatric hospitals for his PTSD. So we came home one day and while my dad was in the hospital and she had left, she, we came home to an empty house. Wow. So you were kind of, you were forced into the grind. Yes, I was forced. Basically my brothers and I, we didn't go into CPS care, you know, back then it wasn't as crucial as it is now. So we pretty much, they dropped me off at the shelter because I was a baby, you know, I was the baby, the girl. And, you know, with that being said, you know, they didn't know how to take care of me and the family members, they didn't want to take care of another mouth to feed. You know, there was three kids there that they had to add on to their food bill. And so they all had big families, so they, they didn't want to take us in. And so we ended up going to the shelter. And so I ended up in the shelter for probably about a good couple of months. My mom's mother had got out of jail. She was in jail for some stuff that she had done. And so I stayed with her on and off. But basically what I would do is I couldn't stay with her during the day because she was scared that people were going to come in and I guess to cut off her social security check. That's what she used to tell me. And so therefore I would have to stay out during the day and then come in at night. And then when she finally 
two years later when she had passed, we kind of just, I ended up on the streets then from there. So I was living in and out of the bathrooms of the gas stations when they had them on the sides and pretty much couch hopping that friend girls that I would meet on the streets houses. So yeah, I was pretty much a, yeah, I was on my own. So I was a, a grinder out there then. So I was forced to take care of myself at an early age. Pressure builds diamonds. And we'll, yes. we'll see that <laughs> in some cases. Luckily, you're one of those cases, it sounds like. Yes. So you were the youngest, right? Yes, I oh. was the youngest. Yes. Okay. And so the family was separated and kind of everyone was in the system at that point and kind of bounced around. I'm guessing here, I could be wrong, but it was this part of your motivation to get into this type of housing to provide for people that were going through similar situations that you and your family did? It was, but it didn't come until later. Once God had pretty much put my life in the right direction and he had built me up from the ground up. And so he had put me into nursing. I had to, of course, do GEDs and, you know, get, go to college. And then I went to nursing school and got my degrees and I got a dual degree, but then he stopped my passion 16 years later after I was trying to do NP, which is the nurse practitioners program. And he wanted me to go this direction. So I kind of got into that, this area around that time frame, And I knew that's what he wanted me to do just because of the fact that I would be a good person that can deal with a lot of people that were going through the same situations or had come out of a similar situation as what I had been in. So what, what sparked that motivation? Like what, uh, did you find were, were you looking for? Was it like you kind of lost the desire and the passion in nursing and then you were kind of seeking other avenues or was there something that just sparked it? You know, did you see something about group homes and you were like, that's it? No, God kind of steered my direction and my focus on the homeless when they came in. I had, I had some young people that came into the clinic and, you know, we see a lot of people come to and from. So CPS was bringing a lot of the kiddos into the clinics and the hospitals to be checked out, you know, of course, for abuse and neglect. And so that kind of sparked it because we had some people that were coming in and they didn't have anywhere to go. And so from then on, that kind of grew my interest a little bit more off into going and opening up group homes because none of these kiddos and none of these people had anywhere to go. And when their loved ones didn't want to accept them into their home, coming out of the hospital, that was kind of, you know, that was very touching. That was hard. That was touching to me because of the fact that I thought that, you know, most families would be wanting to at least help their, their loved ones. So that's what kind of sparked it when they stepped into the office. Really, I had been told that it was already given to me through a vision. You know, God had already shut these doors for me not to go into that nursing program. But then I had to be pushed a little harder. So then he sent people to me that needed to be housed. And that's where it came about from when I saw them step into the clinic. That's what gave you the, uh, my mom used to call it the God smack. The God smack. Yes, yep. yes. And you know, we get whooped for that too. You know, he's, he comes really strong with us. And you know, it's all about that obedience. So, yep. you know, if he doesn't get your attention one way, he's going to get it another. So he probably gave you a couple little pinches. 
Little yeah, taps. Yeah, sure, I got a God smack. Yes. <laughs> Couple taps, but then he was like, nope, you can't do nursing. Look at these people. Bam, God smack. Bam, <laughs> so, God smack. There you go. So it kind of it clicked for you then. So what like what were the next steps? Because I know this was this was probably, I think you said back a couple years ago, like 2012-ish or a little before then, right? Yes, yes. It was a little bit before then because I had to get properties. You know, yeah, properties so were in place. That's where a lot a lot of the people that are probably listening to this podcast and, you know, you see them in the group, you see their questions all the time. Most of the people that come to us are kind of at that point. So for us, it's like, we can say just the real simple steps, but try to go back to there. You know, what were like the first couple steps that you took once you got the God smack? Well, I know once I got the God smack, we were already in the process. We were buying, well, we were getting properties back then. So what we were doing, we were, you know, you would get a property and then we would do an owner finance property. So we were doing like two at a time almost. And so we started that back like in, 2001. And nice. so with that being said, you know, we would buy a property and then of course, you know, you live in it for two years in Texas, you live in it for two years and then you get to, you know, move on to the next, as long as you use that as the primary residence for at least two years. And then you go ahead and we were getting an owner finance property as well around the same year that we were doing this. And so of course, yes, it was like, okay, what are we doing? But we knew that that was something that we wanted to do back then because we wanted to be landlords. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we got those two. Then the next year we did it. We stepped up our game a little bit. We had a goal. So every year we had a goal and a plan. And so we would write it down. And so with that being said, that's how we came up with the seven houses. So like at the end of the day, it was just like, okay, so we were renting those out. Okay, we were just renting the whole places out. You know, we weren't really doing rooms or anything then before 2012 came into play. We were just renting the whole house out, but we were only getting like maybe like a grant for the houses. Back then, you know, rent wasn't that much for a lot of the families that moved into these properties. Let me pause. So, let me pause a little bit. You were getting a grand per month in net yes. or, or for rent? No, for rent for each property that we were getting. So each property that we were getting, we were we were renting those out and then we were getting like a grand, about a grand, anywhere from a grand to about thirteen hundred, anywhere from that that how number much, there. How much were you cash flowing on the properties? Just did for you, the two. So each year. Yeah. Did you own them free or clear or were you still did you have your your house payments that you had to pay on? No, top of it? we we owned them. We owned them free and clear on those Beautiful. when we were getting those. Yes. So, so that was we all, were all cash flow. We, yes. Yes. There was an all cash flow that was coming in. So we didn't have to worry about paying any mortgages. So there were that money was just coming straight to us profit. But it wasn't a lot. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I, I, that's why I'm pausing because you kind of have two backgrounds converging. You know, you have your personal experience and you were working in nursing. But yes. on the on the other side, you have some experience with rental properties. So we usually have people that are on either side of those that come to us, but you have both of those backgrounds. So that's beautiful. Yes. But a lot of the people, you know, that are, that don't really have any real estate experience, they assume everybody that is a landlord just owns it free and clear and they're making a ton of money. The majority of landlords out there did not 
own they don't own their properties free and clear like Tanisha did. <laughs> they have to pay like a mortgage or a hard money loan or some type of private financing. They're only cash flowing two or three hundred bucks per property. But right. even Tanisha, it was all profit <laughs> and it it still, you know, it wasn't like the cash flow that they were looking for. So I just wanted to clarify that for the folks out there so they could get a glimpse into who they're going to be talking to, because a lot of people need to speak with landlords in order to lease the property or partner up with them. So right, great. So I'll, I'll let you continue. So you got the seven properties paid off free and clear, which is amazing. Congrats. You're cash flowing a lot as far as buy and hold investing was going, but wasn't really meeting your, your goals and expectations. No, wasn't meeting the goals and expectations. So, so then in 2012, that's where the thought process came into play. You know, my husband and I talked about it. And so we were like, let's do this. We've already seen them come through your clinic. And so let's go ahead and let's, let's rent out. Let's, first, we started with the renting out rooms. Okay. So it started renting out rooms first, renting out rooms, a whole room. And then we started converting to where we were putting two people in each room. So we were having, we had like, the houses were three bedroom houses, Brandon. But what me and my husband were doing, we were getting loans. And so what we were doing was adding on another room. So it could be a three bedroom and we'd add on a room and make it a four, a four bedroom and add on a room and make it a five. So we were having the four and the five bedrooms that were coming into play. So that's what we were doing. So these rooms will cost about probably about 20,000 at the most. I think we spent about 20,000 for each room. We ended up paying it off as we went. And then when we did that, that's when we started putting the two people in each room. So we started doing that. And first we started off at our home that we're in, we're in a six bedroom house. And so we started that off as a foster group home. Okay. So I have a foster group home in my home and I live with them, my husband and I. And so this is a license though. So we started off with that. And then we went from there and went to the unlicensed with the other homes. So we had like three other homes that we turned into the transition, the ex-offender home that we have. And then we have the adults with the disability. We have the men and the women home. We don't, we don't have a co-ed. So they're like split up. So we have a male home and we have a female home. And then we recently, probably about a year or so ago, turned into a domestic women home. We have a domestic women home, a violence women home, where they have their own for the women. And so with that being said, we then started converting another one into an HCS home, which is for the age out foster. And it also is for the ones that have the IDD, if that makes any sense. And so what we were doing is with the state, the state was allowing us to have the unlicensed, which are the aged out foster kids, those kids come in because they're already aged out with the ACS home. So the ones that don't qualify to get into the ACS program, because that's a licensed home through the state, they can just be right there and still be in that same property as an aged out foster child as well. Because that's what we were doing is converting those that were coming out of my home and putting them into those homes for the aged out. Okay. So seven homes total. 
And one of them's licensed or two of them? Two licensed. Two licensed. I have my foster group home. That's mine. That where mm-hmm. we stay in now with the foster group home for the boys, 12 to 18 years of age. Then when they age out, remember when they age out, they either go two different ways. They either can age out and go just out there with an unlicensed group home, or they can stay in care and go to the ACS home if they qualify within that program so that one that's licensed is also for the unlicensed one as well so they let me convert it because that the state's been knowing me for this long so they let me put the aged out with the licensed home for the hcs home if that makes any sense there Uh, in in the business world we would call that a funnel but in in your world it's just a way for you to take people throughout the whole process right and not and not send them out into the streets or into shelters or into one of these other homes where you, you don't really know what's going on in them. Right, 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 right. And you, you started out with the licensing process. What was that like? How long did that take you to get set up and everything like that before you were, you were up and running with that? The license, you got to go through all the background checks. You have to get the home study for the house. They come through, they do a walkthrough, the state comes through and inspects it. You have the uh, fire marshal, the environmental. It took about a good, probably about two months for us to get licensed with everything. Two months, tops. And this was in Texas? This is in Texas, yes. Okay. I think you breezed through it. Most people I hear it takes like six to 12 months, (laughs) but you probably knew your way around the paperwork or... It's all about the paperwork and then it's all about having your stuff on hand. Like if you have your stuff, like I'm a, I'm OCD. So I have everything like I'm organized, like to the T, like when they ask me for stuff, I have it right then. So I don't have to wait. Like there's a checklist you have, like with over 40 things to complete and turn in. Like I have, I will have you, you give me that, that list of 40. I'll have it there within two days. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> but for for folks that, you know, I've I've looked into the licensing process and looked at the paperwork and I could see how people kind of get behind and get lost with it. <laughs> so when you made that decision to get to start, you know, just taking action and get things started, this was before Group Home Riches was even out there. I'm sure there were other people doing it. Did you kind of figure this stuff out on your own or did you hire anybody to help you or a mentor or anything like that? Mm-mm. There wasn't anybody to help back then. Like you would, I mean, like we would search on the internet, but there wasn't anything out there around this time to help. So it's kind of like you have to just kind of go with the flow. Like if they tell you this is what they need list wise, you know, from the different agencies or licensing. And I used to always go to the licensing meetings. So a lot of times I would find out information on my own, but then a lot of times I would just be, just get the stuff in and just call the numbers. I would call the state. I would get the stuff in, call the state, call the agency and say, Hey, I got my stuff in. So no, I didn't have any agency or consulting people that were helping me. I didn't have anybody doing the paperwork. I did my own paperwork on my own because I want to make sure if I made a mistake on my paperwork, then it was going to be my mistake of what I made, not somebody else's. You probably did it better than most of the consultants anyways, because you got through it quickly. <laughs> so I did. And I tell you the <laughs> truth, they right now, they like the state, like I really have a good relationship with the state. 
because they know, like, they've been knowing me since that 2012. And they, they know that I have all these therapeutic boys and they know that I have these homes. And so they like, they're like, they come to me, they call me for everything. And they know that I can run the house on my own. I don't really need anybody to come in. When licensing comes in, I know what to do. I know how to talk to the licensing. I know how to pass inspections. I know how to do all these things because it, I mean, it's, it's easy. It's basically like you're running your house. You're running the show. You just stay on top of your things and you, you go by the minimum standards and you're good. The minimum standards is your book. That's your book is minimum standards. That's all you go by. I think one of the problems, but one of the opportunities in the industry that I see is that there's a lot of money to be made, right? It's very, very lucrative. And I think that does draw the wrong crowd sometimes. And the wrong crowd kind of has those they have those like just business skills to get through paperwork to network and things like that. And there's a ton of people that have a good heart. They're motivated to do this for the right reasons, like yourself and a lot of the people that are trying to learn through our course. They just don't have like those, the business skills to get through everything. But when somebody, when those two things merge, (laughs) you know, when someone does have the right business skills, they can network, they can find the right connections and they have a good heart, you know, they're treating their residents, right? I think the word of mouth spreads quickly, right? You get a good reputation and it does. Yeah, so I think that's probably why you're probably one of the few people they, they work with that they know, you know, your heart, your heart's in it for the right reason. And that's probably why you get a lot of business sent your way. Yes, they know my story. Everyone in the uh, licensing world knows my story. I'm talking about every attorney, every CASA worker that I deal with. They know my story, social workers, you know, for the kids. So they know that at the end of the day, the kids are going to be advocated for entirely across the board. Like I'm, I'm never going to half step with them. And the kids will also tell you they love it where they are. I treat them like they are somebody because at the end of the day, you're like, they don't have that support system like they should. And so it's refreshing for them when they do have someone that's been in their shoes or even in a similar situation that knows that when you don't have anybody, you don't have anybody. So when you do get somebody to advocate or be a support system for you, that's, that's precious. Yeah. And there's just nightmare stories out there about people in this world, taking advantage of people and and the kids, you know, we don't work with any licensed, we don't have any licensed homes or anything like that. It's one of the few demographics we don't work with is uh, children. But even if you look in that you know, that field, there's a lot of nightmare stories also that's, that's awful. So they need more good people out there doing this. So I know the people listening probably have a ton of questions here. (laughs) So I'm going to kind of rewind and get into that a little bit. So your first house was a foster home for kids under 18, right? Yes. It was a foster group home because I was a group home. I have a group home license. Okay. You can have anywhere from seven to 15 kids in the home. So just, you know, why, why do you need a license to work with that demographic? Or Because when you're working with a foster group home, it's like, and you have those many kids that are in there, you're basically almost running a GRO, which is a general residential operation 
or an RTC in my case. I run like almost like an RTC because these are kids that have that, they have like a high intensity level of needs, you know, they're severe, you know, they can't go back home to their parents because they're severe physical and, and verbal abusive. Their aggression is real high. And so with that being said, you know, there's very few people that can deal with these kids because you got to look at their being, they're being, you know, shipped around from RTC to RTC, from psychiatric hospital to psychiatric hospital. They've been moved like over 50 something times. Some of them have. So when they come into the home, like you really have to have a lot of patience with them. So do you have have to have a specific license to provide like care or services dealing with that? I have a specific license. I have the group home license. It's a, it's a group home. It's an actual group home. It's the actual group home license. So you have to have that. The state comes in, the state does look at that. It's also similar to the foster care license but like when you're having a group home license you can have more than those kids and so the state will also send monitors in as well to monitor your home to make sure that you're following the guidelines you know the code and compliance and the minimum standards and you know documentation you're making sure you're sending in the notes on these these certain kids and you're making sure you're getting them therapy and the services that they need because we provide the services in the home so i can provide the services to them if that makes any sense because i got that license yeah that's what i was so you you do provide like the services that are needed can you outsource it you can outsource if you need it like some kids may need home help so you can outsource it but like for you know serving food you know that's a service transportation that's a service okay so we're transporting them to their appointments that's a service therapy i sit in with the therapy with them that's a service homeschooling i do schooling for them and with them that's a service or tutoring that's a service so yeah you have to have these things in order but you can provide that because you are licensed and you do have that certain license there so this i'm i'm guessing this home takes up majority of your time and the other ones are a little more passive right yes okay And then just one distinction out there for the listeners, you know, we, with the unlicensed homes, for the most part, you can, on paper, you can almost act like a landlord and you need to follow the same rules and regulations that any landlord out there needs to follow. And then there's these federal, you know, fair housing laws and things like that, that almost give you extra protection. But if you're a landlord, like go back to when you were just had your rental properties. If a 14 year old wanted to rent a property from you, you weren't allowed to go into a contract with someone who's not an adult. So that's just one thing where if you do want to work with children, you know, the licensing, as far as I know, in every state, there's no way around it. (laughs) You know, if if you want to work with people who are not adults, there is going to be some extra rules, regulations and licensing. And that's a good thing, right? Yes, that is. And then they have additional, I guess they send in people to inspect the home to make sure you're keeping up with their procedures and everything like that. Yes, they do. They do. They send people in. Licensing comes unannounced and they will come check your home just to make sure that you have everything in order and that, you know, that you are following the rules. 
And it's also up to us to make sure that we're also following the rules as well. So when you're having these type of homes that are licensed, you need to make sure that you're on top of your stuff. You need to make sure that you're documenting those medications, your medication management for these kids, your, you know, making sure the fire extinguishers are tagged, making sure that they got the mattress covers on the beds, you know, make sure that they, you know, have food to eat, that they're in a safe environment, that you keep all your licensed paperwork up, that you're keeping your hours of certifications up. So all these things do come into play and you do have to be accountable and responsible for making sure that you keep your home up to par because the licensing comes in and you don't have any of these things and you can be cited. I'm guessing you would do that anyways, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> so how long were you working on that home? That was the first property and the first group home. How long did you do that before you ventured out into the unlicensed homes and the other demographics? I did that for a year. So I did that for the whole like 2012, up from August 2012 up until uh, 2013 of November. And then we ventured out with everything else. And then we started opening everything else because we had homes, you know, and we didn't, we wanted to go ahead and do it. We had everything written on paper. So with it being written on paper, we went ahead and we started opening up the rest of them. And so we started with the ex-offenders and we did the adults with disability, adults with disabilities. We only dealt with the males at first with those. And then we opened up the women, the one for the women. And then we started with the domestic women afterwards. And then came the HCS and the aged out for the license that came last. And then we, the last one that we are opening up now, or we have opened up is the one for the veterans. So my dad is the veteran, you know, it's quite funny when he came into the home, my dad came with me probably about four years ago and VA came to me and wanted me to take him in. So I uh, took him in and then I'm also the fiduciary. So I opened up the one for the veterans because VA asked me to, because they started seeing me around the VA administration building with my father a lot, you know, taking care of him and making sure he was at his appointments and kind of advocating for him too. So this is like the last one that I'm opening right now that I have opened just because VA has came to me and wanted me to open one for the vets. So the story kind of came first full circle there. That's awesome. So now you're, you're yeah, providing, providing housing for your father and yes, beautiful. Yes. yes. And what was so, you know, God has a way of doing things because they were looking for me four years ago. That's when they found me. And they were like, well, you know, can you take your father? Because he was still in and out. They were putting him in the nursing homes. They only had like one out there in Texas, like Bonham. Bonham had one little nursing home out there. But I guess, you know, they wanted him to go to some family members and see if you know, someone could take him. And so, of course, he still has his PTSD and still has his issues. But I said, sure. So we have my dad now. So, you know, issues and all. <laughs> and is that a group home setting? 
as well so there's there's other veterans in there so that just goes to show the demand that's out there when you get out there and start networking with the organizations that are looking to house these demographics they like they almost they pushed you into it like hey why don't you start a group home for our people (laughs) because they had nobody to call (laughs) it's crazy they had nobody and i'm right there in dallas so like like there's a house that we ended up getting right not too far from the VA that's like like down the street so like from then on like they were like you know they were asked they were saying that this lady was you know selling her house and so I went and I I got that house that she she had which is in a kind of a low poverty stricken area and so with that being said that's where it is it's right there, like not too far from the VA hospital, which is probably like 10 minutes or less than 10 minutes away. And is that where you get most of the referrals for that home or are you doing other yes. like marketing for it? No, I'll have to market for that one. That's I get an, most of that enough. from there because I have a doctor that markets for me. She's the doctor of my dad. So that doctor that sees my dad, she's the one that sends everybody my way. Okay. And for those other properties, so you did the foster home, the group foster home, then you had six rentals that you were working on. Were you kind of doing your, like, you probably had to convert the rentals into group homes and were you, you know, did you focus on making connections in your area, like looking for sources for referrals before you did the conversions or what, what was that like, like getting those other homes set up? Well, I was already in the system. You got to remember, I was already in the system for, you know, a lot of the agencies with the foster group home. Because Uh remember, I have a lot of resources just by that alone. So I started like talking to a lot of people and people started knowing me. People have been knowing me for a minute. So like when they started finding out that I did or was opening these homes, then they started like reaching out to me. And sending me referrals. So that's how I got the referrals. I don't have to do a lot of marketing. I send out the referrals to the shelters like that are in the area in case they do have some people that do need some spaces or some homes. And I kind of refer them to others that we have that I don't think they're in this group, but there's some people that have reached out to me. So I send referrals to other people as well. But I didn't need a lot of referrals because I already had people that knew who I was. So if they had somebody that fit the categories, they were sending them to me. The only ones that I really had to look out for and look into was the ex-offenders. And most of them were the mama boys. The mamas were looking for places for their sons to parole to, okay? Because they didn't want them coming to their houses. So the patients would refer the mamas to me and then they would say okay well she runs this type of home over here see if she's got a place for your son so most of the ex-offenders that I got they're they're mama boys so the mamas were the ones that were pretty much marketing the home because they were trying to find somewhere for their sons to go beautiful so it was mainly word of mouth is kind of you know that's it's honestly you know we show people like just the tactical and logistical stuff to networking and making these contacts but the best form of marketing out there is that it's word of mouth and that's nothing you know 
there's no magical material or anything like that. That's just going to come from, you know, you being a likable person and being reliable, you know, doing what, what you say you're going to do for the clients and just building a good relationship with these people over time. And you can see how that worked for Tanisha. Would you say that's one of the keys to your success? I would say so. Yeah. It sounds like it. Besides just, you know, the the inward motivation and, and everything like that. And um, the T word, tenacious. To, there we go. <laughs> yeah, very <laughs> tenacious. I mean, just the fact that you had so much success in real estate, which, you know, it might not have felt like real estate or a uh, big success to you, but I know very little, you know, real estate investors that can get to the point where they own homes free and clear and are actually successful with that strategy. So, well, you know, we used to listen to David Ramsey. He's my, uh -huh. he was my mentor, you know, my one that I would listen to on the radio, David Ramsey. So are there David any Ramsey has taught me a lot. Any other books or like content or anything like that, that you listen to that folks out there can tune into and get in onto that frequency or is Ramsey um, your main guy? David Ramsey. I, I love him. Yeah. He just, yeah. Yeah. David Ramsey is the one Susie Orman. Yeah. Too, I listen to her a lot sometimes, but David Ramsey was normally, normally my number one pick because he taught you how to save. He taught you how to pay off your mortgages early. He taught you how to do a lot of things. And so that's where a lot of that got, that's where a lot of that information came from was him because he really does have a lot of information that is really great. And for, as far as paying off your mortgages early or saving up money or, you know, whatever you want to do on that end, but whatever you decide to get into, he's got a lot of information that he does give out. And it's very informative to a lot of us that didn't know, because I didn't know back then. I didn't know what half of the stuff was, how to save or anything like that. So I started listening to him a lot. And Susie Orman, then there was one other guy, I can't remember who that was. But, you know, just as long as they know that you got to save some, give some, spend some, you know, there's a concept to that. But you also got to make sure that you're saving up more than what you got going out. And so I don't know, you know, just by me being on the streets, you know, that caused me to be a lot more frugal. I didn't spend money a lot anyway, just because of the fact. So I would say if they just look into David Ramsey, he's the man. Yep. It's about that. Just, I call it the frequency, you know, just get into the positive mindset, you know, however, whatever you need to do for me, I just listen to podcasts. You know, I've got like brainwashed myself listening to real estate podcasts. And that's why we like to do this. It's powerful. I think for people out there who are, you know, they probably just looked up, you know, how to start a group home. And they're wondering if this is a scam, you know, how do you make money offering affordable housing, you know, blah, blah, blah. There's so many negative things that you can tell yourself. But then when they hear stories like this, it's like, you know, how can you refute this? <laughs> so, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, just about, about the service and about your motivation and stuff like that. This isn't the main motivation for people, for a lot of people that get into this, but I just, you know, just so they can get an idea of, you know, what's in it for you financially with this business. What's like the revenue like on your group homes compared to the rental properties that you used to have? Well, 
compared to the rentals back then, if you look at seven, you know, seven homes, we weren't charging that much. That was about what a thousand, between a thousand to twelve to thirteen hundred dollars a month. So you're really not making that much. So that's about what seven thousand, eight thousand, maybe between seven and nine thousand dollars that you're probably making. But with the group homes that I have, and as they can tell, just with the unlicensed, I make twenty one thousand six hundred. That's twenty one thousand six hundred just with the group homes. That's unlicensed, okay. And so just by the population group that I've just stated to them, not even counting the license. So it is doable. You can get out here and you can make money with that. You can go up higher. I only charge like $700 per bed. And I only put two people in each room. However, you, I mean, some people, you know, the rooms may be bigger. You can put more than two people in there because space is money, as I say. But at the end of the day, I only did that much, you know, that many people in a room just because, you know, we just started off with two and we'll see how that goes. And so I didn't want to overwork and overwhelm myself because it can get overwhelming, but it can run itself as well. But like I said, that's money being made overnight as passive income, money being made overnight. You know, you're at home sleeping now, like the majority of my time I'm with the foster boys. So I don't have a lot of time to go to the homes. I mean, we pop in and out during the week, but at the end of the day, I mean, you're making great income. You know, these homes being set up unlicensed. So it's not a scam. It's not a scam at all. It can be done. And there's a whole big population of people out there that don't have anywhere to go, especially now, you know, with COVID shelters are full. Oh my goodness. You know, the shelters have been blowing me up and I've had to refer them. I got to refer them because I don't have any room. I have no space. So, I mean, if you're wanting to do it, I would say do it, but it's not a scam. Obviously I'm doing it. So it's not a scam. So I didn't never think that way, but my thing is, it's all about getting out there. And you also got to market yourself. If you don't know people and you don't have agencies that you're already communicating with, get out there and network. It's all about that community partnership. And they'll send you some people. Believe me, they're going to send them to you. When when you talk to those people that you get referrals from, what are the conversations like? This is one of the things I try to get it across to people is, is that, hey, you know, it, it's technically we're doing sales and marketing, but this isn't like cold calling someone out of the blue to like sell them something they didn't ask about. The people that you're looking for referrals from, most of the time, it's almost like a breath of fresh air for them, right? If someone like yourself reaches out to them and lets them know, you know, hey, I have properties. I want to house these people. Right. We have a lot of, um, you have a lot of caseworkers. You have a lot of people that are looking for somewhere for them. And so my conversations are limited. They're like 30 second type of conversation. Like they call it the elevator conversation, right? Yep. So, you know, I get in there. I tell them what we offer. I don't make this really lengthy. You got to sell your business. You're selling it. And so I, I talk about the services that we offer. I talk about everything within that 30-second conversation time frame there. So I'm, I'm doing my pitch. I'm pitching my pitch there to them. When you're confident about your business and what you're doing, they're going to send you people. They're going to drive to what you're selling automatically because they're going to be like, oh my goodness, she she's very passionate about it. She likes it. But if you get out there and you're scared and you barely want to say anything about your business 
and you don't know how to really pitch that pitch, then they're going to be adamant about sending people to you. I mean, you got to know your business inside out. You need to know your business. You need to know what you're selling. You need to know your product. Your housing is a product and you're selling it. So you got to be able to get out there and market that product so that you can be able to get those referrals. And people will trust you when you know about your business and when you're confident about what you're selling. You know what I'm saying? hundred percent. And I think that's the key. It's what we spend a lot of time just motivating people to do. A lot of people are just scared to pick up the phone and they'll, they'll spend, you know, a year, you know, get in their, their business cards, designing their website, you know, just reading, looking for properties, going through the property, you know, looking for furniture and they don't, <laughs> they don't, you got to pick up the phone and you got to, you got to find people to send tenants to you. That's what we really tell people to do. Do that first. So put yes. yourself in the good position, you know? Yes. Well, Tanisha, that was value packed interview. I hope people out there listening, listen to this one a couple times. We have a a ton of information in this, just this podcast alone, you could probably take and at least get started, (laughs) right? But, you know, Tanisha learned this on her own. Andy did as well. For folks out there, if, if you're not on our mailing list or anything like that, do that bare minimum, you know, check out the free content, the free training material at grouphomeriches.com. If it does sound like something that you want to do, I highly recommend our gold course. It's a, like an online library with how-to guides and videos for every step of the process. And one huge bonus of that is that you get access to the private Facebook group where there are folks like Tanisha in there kind of sharing, you know, their experiences, what works for them, answering questions every now and then. I know Tanisha is pretty active in there and that's how I found her. Yeah. Just to recap, you know, (laughs) not a scam, focus on your marketing, have a good heart, right? Get good word of mouth, and there's a ton of demand out there for people like you guys listening. It's just about taking those first steps and taking action. Tanisha, do you have any parting words for the folks out there? And, you know, just so they know, like, take the course that you guys got. You know, that go course, you guys, even though I'm out there doing it, I still got the course anyway, because sometimes we miss things, you know. I've been in business for a minute, but sometimes it may be something valuable that Andy and Brandon can offer, you know, that's in the course packet as well. So I encourage you guys to, you know, buy the course. The course is explanatory. The course is easy. I mean, you just follow everything that they've got in there. I mean, they've got some valuable information in there as well in order for you guys to get started. So it's all about no excuses. I always say there's no excuses. You, you just got to do it, you know, no excuses. So I would say just get their course, follow everything that they've got to offer, and you won't fail on this business, I promise you. Agreed. <laughs> Tanisha, thank you so much for coming on. That was an awesome story. We'd love to hear it. And just keep us posted with your progress. We'd love to have you back on in a couple months and kind of hear, you know, what, what you've accomplished since now. Well, actually I'm looking for another house, so we'll see what's happening and we'll see what's in the mix again for Miss Tanisha. So. (laughs) All right. I'm sure there's big things in the mix. (laughs) So thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much, Tanisha. All right. Have a blessed one.